Hello and welcome to the Power and Motor Yacht podcast. This is Shane Scott, your host, and on today's podcast, this is one that hits home for a lot of us, where I interview Captain Chrissy Lovett of Lahaina, Maui, about the devastating fire that took place just last week. Captain Chrissy, a seasoned local mariner of the area, and her story of how she saved two five- and six-year-old children has spread across the news everywhere. Uh, However, this podcast is something where we want to go deeper and really understand what happened at the harbor that day in the rest of the town so that we can really get an idea of what Lahaina is going through and how they're picking up the pieces today. Captain Chrissy herself is a big part of helping in the healing as she is not only housing several victims of the fire who lost their own homes, but is actively working to get another boat so that she can begin running much needed supplies to her people as quickly as possible. So let's hear this story from her own words. I'd like to take a minute to share some words about our sponsor, Imtra. You know, a quality windlass is the backbone of any anchoring system, and it's a reliable performance, and it's it's crucial for day boaters and long-distance cruisers alike. If you're looking to install a new windlass or upgrade your current anchoring system, Imtra has everything you need. With the premium windlasses from leading manufacturers like Lofrans and Weir, Imtra offers every variation to meet your specific needs, whether you're looking for horizontal, vertical, electric, hydraulic, or manual windlasses. You can find them at intra.com. You said a lot of people were not sure what to do and they, they wanted to try to get their boats out of the harbor, but you said something about like their, their engines weren't adequate. Right. So there were 80 mile an hour. I thought it was 70 mile an hour winds, but it was actually 81 mile an hour winds. And so people, when you looked at the scene offshore, it was just sea smoke and um, there were, uh, water, I mean, water spouts that were a quarter of a mile wide. And so people, I knew one friend, she didn't have enough fuel. She barely had any fuel in her boat. And she said, what am I going to do on a single engine, 35 horse power, you know, boat? She's like, I don't even know if I'll make it out of the harbor. She was afraid that she'd just get blown down onto the reef because it's so Lahaina Harbor is the smallest busiest boat harbor probably in the united states maybe even in the world they say if you can drive a boat in lahaina harbor you can drive it anywhere it's not a it's so tight in there and you have rocks um you know 20 feet off your port side and you have a a sandbar 20 feet off your starboard side so you get blown just a little bit, you you will be aground. And it's just, um, it's not like these typical harbors that we see, you know, like in Alaska or California where there's tons of room to maneuver. You don't have, you literally have feet to maneuver a boat. So if you do have a 35 horse motor and you've got 80 mile an hour winds, you're almost putting yourself in more danger trying to get your boat out. Okay. Wow. So, so then... I know that you said some people were kind of not sure what to do. Um, where do you go from there? Because you said, I know you were warning them the smoke was going to be the issue. Yeah. So I grabbed a 10 foot skiff okay. um, that had a, a motor, a, a pretty, what I thought was a pretty reliable motor. And I grabbed the 10 foot skiff. At that point, I didn't care who owned it, you know, <laughs> it, like I'm taking it. And, um, you know, I went through the harbor um and people were on their boats and i just learned some so there's a front row and there's a back row and there's probably 40 feet of space between the front row and the back row 
I was on the back row. And so no one, no one was on their boats on the front row, but we thought that was going to be the first row to burn and that the back row would have time. Right. I just saw a video that the back row, the one closest to the ocean was the row that burned first. And that was the row my boat was in. And it doesn't make any sense as to why it burned first. But so I went along that back row and people were saying, no, I'm going to stay. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to save my boat. And that's when I was telling them like, the fire isn't going to kill you. It's the smoke that's going to kill you. Get on my boat, you know, get on this boat now and let me take you offshore. Cause there were probably 20 boats that had no one on them that were just sitting at, on a mooring out there. And so I said, just, get on, grab what you can from your boat. There were some people that lived on their boat. Our friend Lydia, she lost her boat and that she literally was just got things fixed and was about to sail to Tahiti, um, but was waiting for the weather to calm down. Um, so her life was on that boat. And I just said, and that boat is a tank. You, there's no way she could have gotten that out of the Harbor in those 80 mile an hour winds. And so I just said, come, you know, get on, let's go. We have minutes and so I got her out and then the boat that was next to mine, that was another one. She said, no, I'm, I'm going to save my boat. And I, that's when I said, you know, the smoke's going to kill you. And she just said, okay, I'm coming with you. <laughs> and, um, so got her out and that's when we headed. Um, I actually used to captain a 120 foot boat that was sitting at a mooring offshore. So I'm super, I drove it for 22 years. So I was super familiar with that boat and I just, I took them that, to that boat. I got them off, got them safe. And it was me and Lashana. Um, she was the one that lost a boat in the Harbor as well. And that's, we saw the, the, the older man, he was alone struggling to hook up to a mooring in these 80 mile an hour winds. So I grabbed a line, I tied the line onto the mooring so that we could hand it up to him. And then that's when we saw just this wall of white coming at us. And it was a, one of those 80 mile an hour, like heavy gusts. And she said, Oh shit, we're going to get hit. You know? So I tied that bowl in as fast as I could. And, um, and right when it hit us, I think the water got into the cowling and it killed the motor. And so we just were dead in the water. And at that point, he was able to grab the line and get his boat secured. But at that point we were in a life and death situation because we were getting blown out to sea and no anchor could have helped us. We couldn't. So, but luckily by the grace of God, a couple hundred yards away, we were getting blown to the boat that I had dropped the people off the 120 foot boat. And so I'm, we're doing the wave and we're trying to get their attention, just get their attention. And they pop their head out and they're like, what? And you, it's so windy. And I'm screaming, do not miss, do not fucking miss. And they're like, oh, okay. And so I disconnected the, the, the line from the anchor because it was long. And I just, we're sailing past them. And I mean, we're sailing past them five, six knots. And I throw the line and they catch it. And it took two of them. They're struggling to hold the line because we were getting pulled that hard um, in the wind. And they got us tied, you know, 
took him a couple minutes to walk the line to the back of the boat. I'm just screaming, take a wrap, you know, sweat it, sweat it, take a wrap. Don't let us, you know, don't lose us. And we get to the boat and we're like, yeah, our, our dinghy motor's dead. We couldn't get it started again. And they're like, oh my God, thank God you didn't tell us that it was dead because we probably would have been more panicked about catching your line. So then we get on the boat and at that point we, we watch the harbor and it's just the back row is burning. And, um, and so all three of us, all three of us ladies, it's like interesting because there were only ladies around <laughs> how there were no men around. We were helping the men. Um, there were no men helping us. We were helping the men and, um, and, uh, we just, we were the three female boat owners there at that moment. And we just watched all three of our boats burn. And, um, and it was just, it, I don't know. I can't describe the feeling. It was, we literally just put that boat. We, it was derelict. We restored it. I mean, it was in perfect, pristine condition and we just put it in the water um, two and a half weeks ago. Just got it out of dry dock and put it in the water two and a half weeks ago. Like it's just, and it was a boat that was used to transport cargo and food to the outer island. Um, it was a beautiful boat. It was a 36 foot twin V weekender, had a the tuna tower on it. Um, it was just shocking to see her home, our livelihood go. Um, so as at that point, the smoke was so terrible. It had, we were on a 120 foot boat and the wind had blown out two windows. So at that point we got into survival mode and I, I know the boat cause I was the, I was the master captain of that boat for 22 years. I was like, I know we have wood and some of my old tools were on the boat still from when I, you know, I stopped driving it after the pandemic. So I went down, I knew where there was wood and we were just boarding up the windows to try to keep us, um, you know, from getting smoke inhalation. And we, you know, we did, we were exposed to smoke for about 15 hours and, um, we got the windows boarded up. And, um, at that point the coast guard came by and said, um, you know, we will take people to the other side of the island. And I thought, if I go to the other side of the island, there's no chance of me making it home because I had three dogs at home. I didn't know what the situation at home was. We had no cell service. We had no contact with anyone. Um, so this was probably five hour, four hours or five hours later that the Coast Guard drove by. It wasn't like right when shit was hitting the fan. It was significantly later um so the couple people that i had on board they got on the vessel and on the coast guard boat i did notice like people that a couple people that didn't want to come with me that stayed they were on the boat and they were just i mean we all looked like we had been working in a coal mine like we were just black um you know at one point when i did go back into the harbor the flames were the heat and the smoke, it, it was just so un, unbearable. And I did, I did one more last sweep in the harbor to see if anybody wanted to come with me. And the people that didn't come, I did see them on that Coast Guard boat because they had to dive into the water. Um, but they just looked shell-shocked and they just said, your boat's gone, your boat, you know, they told us like it, it, it burned immediately. Um, 
and they the only place that they could go was the water. So at that point on the boat, it's just me, Lashana, and Emma. We're all captains. We're all very experienced. Um, and we're just at that point, the Coast Guard <clears throat> gets on the radio and says, There's a hundred people in the water. If any vessel is able to assist, please assist. We have a hundred people in the water. And in the meantime, the Coast Guard boat that picked up the people that were on the boat to take them 16 miles away to a harbor, it had broken down two times. So Coast Guard is calling in. So Lashana, Emma, and I, we got together and we thought, you know, we have an unreliable motor, but it was it was just seawater that killed it. Maybe it has dried out and maybe it'll start again. So we um we decided, yes, we are we're gonna go and look for survivors and we're gonna try to get this motor started. And so we were able to get the motor started again. We did a couple of tests, you know, forward, reverse, forward, reverse. And it seemed solid. It didn't cut out. So we said, okay, let's take flashlights. Let's take water. Um, we had a handheld VHF. Just like, so backtrack a little bit before this, when you, before you guys got, you know, you're going to take the second shot at the, at the dinghy, you're on the 120, you're, you boarded it up. At what point was it, was it that you guys left the 120? You said, were you going around in that to, to get to people first or? No, it was. So in those, in those 81 mile an hour winds, the 120 foot boat does not have enough power to maneuver. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's just, I've driven that thing in 60 knot winds and in 60 knot winds. I, I don't know how I parked it in the Harbor in 60 knot winds when I did that in the, in those days, but I knew at 80 mile an hour winds, there was no way I would be, be able to maneuver that boat because it had, it's got 1271 Detroit diesels, you know, it, it, it's, it's not going to have the power. And we tried to, it's got the, the searchlight is the landing light of a 737. I tried turning that on and looking and it was like, it was shining it in fog. Like there was no visibility because the smoke was so intense. It was so intense. It was just, it, you know, I mean, we we're just coughing and coughing and it, you wouldn't being on that big of a boat, you couldn't have found survivors. You would have run them over so, and you so wouldn't have been. Happened? So what happened from there, Chrissy? So you guys were on the boat, you, you got, you gathered people on it. How did everybody disperse from there before you took off? Looking when the boat? Came, um, <laughs> they, they came to, they saw our boat. We actually, we, we saw the coast guard around and these people were, they wanted to get off the boat and we called the coast guard and we said, Hey, um, we know you're picking up survivors in the water. Is there any chance you could pick people on our boat and take them because they're really scared right now and we're trapped. We were trapped. But I said, I'm not leaving because I don't know why. I'm just not the type of person that gets taken to a shelter. You know, that's just not, I don't know. That's just not who I am. Um, so we took, those people got taken to sh to the other side of the island and then that's where we heard the Coast Guard just say, like, hey, you know, there's people in the water. So that's when Lashana, Emma, and myself made that decision to get the dinghy going to go help the people in the water. And 
So you'll you that video, it's a pretty viral video of us coming into the harbor when it's on fire. Emma Nelson took that video and we went into that harbor while boats were still burning. There was debris everywhere. Um, I saw, I personally saw two engine rooms on fire and I knew that they, they were going to explode and they did. So we, we kind of did a shout to people and, you know, anybody here, you know, we didn't, it was just dead silence. And then the gust of wind would come and then be dead silent and gusts of wind would come. So we left the Harbor and we headed down the coast and that's where um, we had a kind of a rendezvous point. The Coast Guard said, you know, we've gotten a call that in this one particular spot where there was gridlock on the road and people had no choice but to jump in the water. We headed to that area and the Coast Guard had a plan to have people swim out to the boat. And we, you know, the Coast Guard, they're awesome, love them, respect them. But we said, please don't have them do that because it will lead to mass casualties and drownings because the reef sticks out about a quarter of a mile. You can't just have people swim out when there's there's a two knot current going on. You know, not everybody is uh, Michael Phelps. You know, swimming a two knot current, you have to be an amazing swimmer that's not fatigued, not exhausted, not, you know, having to breathe all that smoke. You don't have that lung capacity. So we said, listen, we are the only boat out here that draws a foot or two. Let us go in over the reef and get people. And so, and at that point, um, we were able to grab two children. Um, and they were probably, they were young. Their, they, their parents gave them, you know, I don't know. They know it. Some, I heard that they got reunited with their parents, but um, we sent Coast Guard. We went, we dropped them off. Um, a Coast Guard swimmer and another crew member from another boat because a lot of boats were standing by to help but you have to understand like they're big boats they can't see because of the smoke they were afraid of running people over they can't go in shallow they had to stay in in you know in deep water and it's night they're not familiar with the area we are incredibly familiar with the area and so we knew exactly where to go and where to get the people. And we sent the Coast Guard uh, swimmer in. And even the Coast Guard swimmer, he had his combat boots on. We said, stop, stop, stop. You cannot go in with your combat boots on. You're going to sink, you know? And he just thought, like, he could walk on the reef. We're like, no, no, that's not the case. You need a surfboard and you need to paddle in. And you need to have fins on. So we got him a pair of fins. We got him a surfboard. Made him take his boots off and um, sent him in and he declared the scene safe and you know just worked on people getting out of the water and um, he actually was able to walk them down the beach to where it was a safe scene and there were um, some uh, first responders down there able to grab the survivors but the people they just kind of we have you have to understand we had a panoramic view of what's going on because we're offshore people that were in the water on the beach. They don't know how far the fire is and where it is. So the coast guard was able to walk them down the beach to where it was safe to get into cars to be taken away. Um, but there were people that were, um, you know, clinging to the rocks, you know, thank God the reef went out as far as it did. So people, 
they just, um, they were in the water, but it was waist high. Yeah. You know, they weren't submerged in, they weren't treading water. They were in waist high water, but they did have to deal with the smoke. How many did you find when you were going out in the D the second time? Um, the, the two kids. Um, and then we were able to meet up with the Coast Guard boat and we were able to, at, and like, we were out there till four in the morning. So keep in mind the, the fire started at about, they got to the Harbor around five 30 PM. And we were out there till four in the morning. Um, at that point we were able, jet skis came and they were able to go inshore and we were able to they were, it was kind of weird. The jet skis were just kind of hanging out offshore and we're like, no, no, the, you got to come inshore. You're going to have to come, you know, we're, we're communicating with them, like see our light, you know, follow our light. This is where you need to be. It doesn't help to be two miles offshore. You, you need to follow our light. You need to go inshore. And this is where you need to look because this is the center of where people jumped in. So um, we were able to guide them in to go, you know, look for people. They imagine people offshore treading water, but they were on the reef and they were standing on, you know, in, in the water. They were able to stand in the water. Where did you find the kids? Where were they? The kids were in that same area. So if you can imagine on land, 20 feet from the ocean, was a road and so people um they there's a seawall and there were cars with their doors still open so that is the where there was like a gridlock where the fire rushed down and people just basically got out of their cars and jumped into the water and so in that area of concentration was where we found the kids and we had sent um at that point that's where we sent the the coast guard swimmer in to help look for people and he's like yeah we have some kids and so that's when we pulled him up on the kids onto the boat so got it okay so then everybody went towards the beach and um you guys just waited out until until 4 a.m for the, the fire to we start. we patrolled the the water basically looking for people and i think probably the biggest hindrance because we did have you know, flashlights, they weren't searchlights, they were just flashlights. But I think the biggest hindrance was the visibility, you know, because, you know, and I'm, I'm reading, it's crazy because I'm reading about people that were in the water right where we were at. And I just feel guilty. I'm like, we were looking for people, you know, we were, but I think because of the smoke and it being so thick, you know, that's maybe why we, we miss them. But you know, we were looking for them and I want them to know that we were out there looking. We just, I, you know, it was, it was middle of the night, pitch black dark and they had no signaling device. And I don't know if they could see our signaling device um, because of the thick smoke. Okay. So can you kind of tell me a bit about the aftermath? Like what, what was the, what was the damage like to, to the harbor, to the area? obliterated i mean disintegrated you know people think that they can go back and look for things like wedding rings it's gone everything is gone it's ash it was thousand degree fire um everything i mean the harbor is gone 
and that's the only way I can describe it. It's like, you know, you used to be inshore and you'd look out to the ocean, there'd be buildings. Now it's a straight view where you can see, see the water. Um, there's absolutely nothing left. There were a couple of random buildings that survived like a church and one hotel survived. Um, and then there were like maybe four boats in the Harbor that ended up surviving a couple boats in this, in this, in the, the row that was perpendicular to the, the rows that paralleled the ocean that we have no idea how that survived. My truck was in the Harbor that blew up. I saw a picture of that. It exploded. Um, but the aftermath is that there's nothing left of this beautiful historic town. The fire stretched about six to seven miles long. So, yeah. And if I may, I'd like to take another moment to mention our sponsor, Imtra. Imtra is a 100% employee-owned company committed to bringing best-in-class products, expert product knowledge, and unparalleled support to the entire marine industry throughout North America since 1952. So then, you know, I, I think just kind of curious about you personally, I know you said you had this, you know, this beautiful refit that you did. Was that, was that for your, your work? Was that a boat you were going to use for your job? What is, what is the line of work that you're in? Okay, so my company is called Instaboat. It's like Instacart, but it's called Instaboat. And it transports, people make orders, and I transport food to the outer island that they're a little bit more cut off and a little bit more isolated from the main island. And so it was very helpful, like during the pandemic, um, when they weren't receiving medicine and food and supplies and the elderly um, if they want to come get food, they have to travel. I mean, they have to make a full day of it and it's, it's financially expensive. So my boat, um, I had gotten a bigger boat, um, because at the time I was, which I, I had a 24 foot 1977 skipjack that burned up. But I mean, I would take that skipjack to the outer, outer Island. I mean, I had that thing in 12 foot seas, fully loaded. It was an awesome boat. Um, but at one point my safety was, <laughs> it was kind of being, it was scary sometimes, you know, I thought a couple of times I was going to roll over. So I thought, you know, I need to get a bigger, more stable boat um, just to keep myself safe and my crew safe. And so that's why we went with the 36 foot twin V and I, I ended up doing two runs on it fully loaded and it was an awesome boat. It was stable. I felt safe on it. And, um, and those runs, you know, was primarily carry food out to the outer Island. And, um, so it's a shame. I lost that boat, the twin V the 36 foot twin V I lost the 24 foot skipjack. And then I lost a 24 foot Radin, which was, um, being, I was actually going to sell the skipjack to pay the bills for the refit for the twin V um, because I, I used all my savings to get the twin V, you know, refitted and restored. Um, so I was going to sell the skipjack to pay those bills. And then I was going to use the Radin as my backup boat, but the Radin does not have insurance. Unfortunately, um, the other ones, because I'm a new business, 
the other ones have very, very low insurance policies because insurance companies don't really want to insure boats in Hawaii for some reason. A lot of insurance companies pull out. Um, so I wasn't able to get a really good insurance policy on them, unfortunately. Okay. So then I guess where you're at from here and, and, and I suppose not just for you, but you know, when it, when it comes to the, the boaters in the area from what you're seeing, like what's, you know, what's the, what's the plan for here for, for a lot of people or for yourself? Um, well, the, the problem is, is a lot of people, they didn't just lose their homes. They lost their work, their employment. So people, it's like the double, double whammy. Um, no income. I have no income at all. I'm doing everything I can to keep my house from going into foreclosure so that I can keep the displaced people in my home. Um, um, I'm hoping to try to find a boat of some sort that I can run so that I can continue, you know, the roads are cut off. Um, I'm hoping to find a boat that I can, you know, bring fuel. It's kind of like, I got to switch gears here and bring fuel and supplies to the west, the upper west side of Maui that are cut off currently. Um, so that's kind of where I'm, I'm working at trying to, trying to just find some sort of vessel to get, get going again. So you mentioned that you're, you're, you're housing some, some people that had lost their homes. How many people and how did you, how did you kind of get that going, gather everybody like that? Um, you know, Lahaina is just a really small community and, um, people just, they just showed up and I just told them, you know, they're just kind of like, in shell shock like i lost my home and um and it, it's a no-brainer just stay at my house you know just just stay there and um you know thing about hawaii is we're just a really really strong community that you know backs each other up supports each other it's the aloha spirit you just you put others ahead of yourselves and so it's a no brainer. Like if you don't have a place to go, you're going to be taken care of at, at our, at what house we can put you in. So. How many uh, refugees are you holding on to right now? Are people that were displaced? Um, at one point I had, I had around, I think I had eight at my house. Um, a couple of the people were able to find, because we didn't have like, we don't, we did, we did not have electricity for a long time. Um, so they were able to get shuttled out and taken to, uh, the Southern part of the Island that had, uh, electricity and a, a couple, another person got out on an airplane and they went to the mainland because they needed medical assistance. Um, so right now I've got, uh, four people at my house and, um, a lot of people found temporary places. And so I'm working on trying to get people that do have a temporary place into my house if they need a more permanent residence. Cause I, I mean, people were on the floor, people were, I don't have an eight bedroom house, but it is a roof and we just got electricity. So that helps. There is still no cell phone communication um, to that part of the Island though. So it was kind of terrifying. We had a fire about a mile from my house and 
no one was alerted to it. People were riding around on, on dirt bikes, you know, screaming to us that there's a fire. So that we're still very, very vulnerable up there. Yeah, that um that's awesome everyone's helping each other out though, at least. Um I noticed that, you know, I don't know if, if it was your, a cousin, a family direct family member, you, you had Jody had made that um made it made it fun for for you and I think it was for someone else. It was um is that is that at all related to what you want to do with, with the boat or what's going on with the right. So the the purpose of the GoFundMe is um is that I do need to secure a vessel. Um I do need to probably th three reasons. I need to be able to pay for fuel, which is expensive, as we all know, and get fuel up to them. Um, also, I need to pay the mortgage. I have no income, so I have to pay the mortgage so that I can keep housing people. Um, to me, that's the most important thing is to keep the home from, from me defaulting on the loan so that I can keep people in my in my home so yeah that sounds important uh what, what is the name of the uh, gofundme in case any of our listeners my brother started it it's joseph lovett he's if you search joseph lovett l-o-v-i-t-t -T, it's under christy and emma's wildfire fund i believe okay and um just to, just uh to ask you as far as like the lahaina area like was was there a lot of houses that were burnt down so a lot of is there a lot of displaced families right now that are kind of looking for a place or absolutely there's i don't know exactly how many homes um but basically i want to say like 85 percent of lahaina burned down um thousands um 1200 homes at least but thousands of people are displaced okay. so is there is there a lot of momentum for everyone to move to the other side of the island or what's everyone mostly doing right now um they're finding shelter where they can. Um, that's basically it. They're just looking for a place to stay. Um, families are looking for a place to stay. Um, and just to give you some numbers here, they had already found 98 fatalities. And, and that includes only 3% of the area searched. So quite um quite a staggering uh number so um i know it was over a thousand homes so and the thing about hawaii which a lot of people don't understand is they think okay one family per home and that is incorrect so in hawaii we have what's called a multi-generational home so you might have one home but there are three different families living in it um you know, multi-generational homes are, um, it, it, if you look at any home, there's always more than one family living in it. So when you hear about one home that was lost, multiply that times three families that are at least three families that are displaced. Is there any, is there any kind of um, like relief programs that are in place right now to, to help everyone? So best advice that I can give is to find people's Ven or Venmo or their GoFundMes or their Venmos and donate directly to the victims. 
Red Cross, they're fine. They're taken care of. They don't need anything. Um, they have the federal government backing them up. They do not need um, all these federal government programs. Um, we just had a person from our community go to one of the staging areas and he saw hundreds of supplies wrapped up and they weren't planning on moving them anywhere. It's kind of like the thing with, uh, what was it, Haiti, Haiti, where they opened a warehouse and there were thousands of water bottles. It's like they get these donations and they just sit and they're not used. If you donate directly to people that, and just Google Lahaina for the GoFundMe, find those people and donate directly to them because you know that money will be used towards their survival. Um, this other we're just really disappointed in, in seeing that the government is just kind of holding things up. It's, it's community members from outer islands um, and in our, our community that are helping each other the most. Um, I understand that the government is looking for um, remains and that's a very, very important job, but they have forgotten that there's a whole, there's three towns, four towns up north of this that are completely cut off from communication. And so I encourage everybody to donate directly to the victims and the federal agencies, they will get support from the federal government, but the people that are directly affected are not getting support. Yeah, definitely good to know. Thank you for, uh, for mentioning that, Chrissy. I think um, definitely we're, we're curious about, and, and I'm sure a lot of listeners want to help out with, you know, what's what's to come with uh, the space that was the harbor. You know, is, is there going to be a re, re rebuilding, reconstruction in mind? I mean, is there any talk of things like that? Um, I have no idea at this time. I know that the state of Hawaii is very slow. It took them three years to build the harbor master's office, which is a 20 by 20 building. So um, we don't have any expectations of anything being built quickly enough um the harbor right now is completely demolished it's there's debris there it's not usable you can't even you know get to the dock um because of the debris in the way they have to they're gonna have to completely dredge that entire harbor um there was a ramp um north of it called mala ramp which was spared it was okay um, you know, we've been waiting on them to dredge that because it's been so shallow. It's hard to bring a vessel in there. You know, even my 24 foot skipjack, I would get stuck in there all the time. And we, for years, we've been asking, please dredge it in, in, you know, we pay Harbor fees and they still hadn't dredged it. So it's not really the best ramp to go into because, um, it is so shallow um but it is a place to go to get to make it to land so everything in hawaii is very slow it's very outdated um you have to i'm not optimistic about things getting done in a timely manner i think it'll be years um before we we see um you know the harbor running again so what we've been doing is we've been actually taking our boats to the beach um, there's a couple ramps that are kind of made by the locals, um, and that's what we've been using. 
And then, so, so how many, how many boats would you say were able to be salvaged or survive the, the, the flames, the fire? I would say seven, eight boats, maybe mm -hmm. out of a hundred. Wow. And those are the ones that are kind of just at, at the beaches right now. Yeah. You'll see, if you see a picture of the Harbor, you'll see a row with some small boats. Um, I don't know what the, you know, offshore where we were, we were, you know, we had pieces of fiberglass, you know, melted to the side of the boat. And I mean, we were being rained down with fire embers. It was like we were being firebombed. So I, I don't even know if those boats are going to be in any kind of usable condition because if we're offshore and we're being rained down on and our boats are catching on fire out there um, with the fiery embers and just when those boats would explode, you know, all the fiberglass went into the air and, and it blew out and it melted onto our boats out there um, that we were on. Um, I don't know if those boats that are floating are actually ever going to be really usable, but I would say there's eight to nine that seemed like you know, they were still floating. Okay. And those are some of the boats that ended up on the, on the kind of like the local made um, areas or. Um, that's more of the Southern end of the Harbor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then for you, if you once once you get yourself um, your hands on, uh, on a vessel, are you going to be trying to go back to the Insta boat or is there any other plans for you? Um, absolutely. I'm going to go, I'm going to rebuild and go back to the Insta boat. Um, at this time though, the resources need to be directed towards um, Maui. So doing it by water seems to be the best route to do that. And since I have the skill and the capability, um, you know, that's where I really want to put my focus is helping the community. And at some point when there are resources to help the outer Island, you know, I want to include them too, but right now they are okay. Right. Um, however, I would like to take some resources like fuel from their Island and get it to Maui. Okay. Okay. So, so, looking to get yourself a vessel so that you can just get more resources for, for Maui for those that just they need supplies, right? Yes. Yes. That sounds like an important, important task to accomplish. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Chrissy, for making time and sharing all this. I think this is really important for, you know, the rest of us and the other areas in America to know about and to be able to help and just, you know, be able to think about. So, um, so, so that's, yeah, more can be done. So, um, yeah, thank you. And if there's any other updates, you know, as things are going, please, please feel free to reach out. And, and, uh, we do have a podcast and those are things that, you know, we can include information on and, and make things known and things like even like, you know, the fund me's, which I think is important, right. Making that clear so that people can put their assistance there instead of, like you said, just, just a red cross or just the places that maybe won't be as fast to work with, um, and if you're comfortable with it, you know, obviously there'll be some editing and we'll go through it, but the, even this conversation um, can be something that we could use as a, as a podcast too, um, to help get yeah. a little attention to what's going on over there. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Chrissy, so much. And, uh, you know, best of luck, lots of prayers. I'm sure will come from, from our side, from me and from us out here. I'm glad, I'm glad that, you know, glad you're okay. I'm glad there's some pe people that survived and I hope that, uh, hope everything just looks up from here, you know? So. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for getting the word out. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay, Chrissy, you have a wonderful day. You too. Aloha. And one more moment to mention our sponsor, Imtra. If you're in need of a windless handheld remote 
chain counter, chain stopper, anchor swivel, prefabricated or custom spliced anchor road, or electrical components like solenoid control boxes and circuit breakers, Imtra has it all. Imtra has a team of experts dedicated to helping you find the perfect solutions for your boat, including offering maintenance kits and troubleshooting advice to keep your anchoring system running smoothly for years. Visit www.imtra.com or give them a call for answers to all your anchoring questions. Devo